Grab your Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28. Today is the last week of our five-week message series, walking through what we call our 5S habits. These are five habits we've identified as a church several years back and that we believe every follower of Jesus should know and live out. We started the first week, if you're here with us, with surrender. Surrender says, I will daily submit to Jesus as my king. The challenge was for each of us to live in a way that recognizes that life's not about us, but life is about living for the glory of King Jesus. The next one was the habit sustain. Sustain says, I will discipline myself to experience God's transforming power. The challenge for us there was to see that we're called to grow up in our faith and to do so by practicing spiritual disciplines like reading the Bible so that God can work in us. Next habit was shine. Shine says, I will reflect the life of Christ as I engage the cultures around me. The challenge there was to live like Jesus wherever he places you so that people see him and are drawn to him. And last week was a tough one. It was sacrifice. Sacrifice says, I will offer myself to God and people beyond what is comfortable. The challenge was to willingly give up your life to follow Jesus and be willing to do the hard things for him and others. That brings us today to our last habit, which is the habit of share. And i got to tell you, of, out of all five of these habits, I think this one may be the least practiced by Christians. I am speaking from my own experience and from my experience of being in church and being around Christians my entire life. I have found that Christians will study their Bibles, pray, go to church, serve people in need, give their money and time, go on mission trips, and do any number of spiritual things. But if you ask them to share their faith, they would rather crawl in a hole. (laughs) And I don't think it's for lack of knowledge. We know this. I mean, one of the first things we learn when we come to faith in Jesus is that we're called to tell other people about him. I can't tell you personally how many sermons, lessons, classes, talks, books, articles, and videos I have seen and heard about evangelism. That's the word we use, evangelism, talk about sharing our faith. Like many of you, I've been taught all sorts of evangelism strategies, Uh, things like the bridge, the four spiritual laws, the three circles, the evangelicube, that was a fun one, evangelism explosion, the Romans road, the ABCs, the one verse method, the way of the master, passing out tracks, making bracelets, knocking on doors, and even using candy canes. Y'all seen that one? And look, let me be clear, there's nothing wrong with methods. Everyone can be useful in the right context, and I personally think learning a clear and simple way to share your faith is important. My point is simply that lack of knowledge is not our problem. We all know we should be sharing with lost people, and yet we struggle to do it. Why is that? Well, there's a lot of reasons we could list. Uh, Busyness. And a lot of us are too busy to build relationships with people and spend time talking about Jesus. Another one is lack of relationship. A lot of Christians are only friends with other Christians. We don't have friendships with people who don't know Jesus. But the biggest reason I think we don't share our faith, and again, I make this claim from personal experience, the biggest roadblock I believe today is simply fear. Look, talking about your faith is scary. And let's just be honest, it is. First off, we live in a culture in which religion is a bit taboo. Like, it's certainly not something you just bring up with a stranger. And then to tell someone that they're wrong and you're right or that they're a sinner who needs Jesus, like that's, that's not overly popular. It's kind of offensive today. 
Our culture values tolerance and acceptance and everyone finding their own truth. So to go out and to push your truth onto someone else, again, not a popular thing to do. But we also have some some fears on a personal level. One of the biggest fears we all face is a fear of rejection or being an outcast or being labeled as that crazy religious nut. We don't want to push someone away or we worry about how someone will respond. What if they ask us a hard question? What if they get upset or angry? What if they make us look dumb? And here's the sad irony of it. The closer you are to someone, the better you know them, the harder it can be to share Jesus with them. A family member, a longtime friend, a coworker, it can actually be harder to share with them because you don't want to damage that relationship. You don't want to have to deal with that awkwardness every Thanksgiving and Christmas or anytime you see them. All of this makes sharing your faith scary. Now, there are a rare few people out there who have no fear of talking to strangers. I told you my mom's one of those people. They have no hesitation at all with sharing their faith. But that is not most Christians and friends. That's not me either. To this day, when I share Jesus with someone or talk about my faith, I get nervous and I get paid to do it. (laughs) There's a part of me that's saying, no, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't put yourself out there, abort mission, abort mission. So listen to me. If you wait until the day, where you have no fear and no nervousness, and God gives you the perfect opportunity, you will never share your faith. That day ain't coming. (laughs) Some way, somehow, we have to conquer this fear and share. How do we do it? Well, it starts with knowing the why behind sharing our faith. Why is this even important? Why is it important for a Christian to tell other people about what they believe? Why should we share in the first place? Let me give you two reasons this morning, show you several passages along the way, and then I'll close this out with a super practical challenge. But here's the first reason we share. Number one, we share because we have a command to share our faith. We have a command. You may know this, but it's it's good to be reminded. I know I need this reminder today. As Christians, sharing our faith is, is something we're commanded to do. It's not optional or suggested. It's not reserved for pastors or deacons or super veteran Christians. It is basic Christianity 101. When you find out the amazing truth of what Jesus has done for you, you then want to turn and tell others about it. We find this command to share most notably in the last words Jesus gave to his disciples in what we call the Great Commission. So look with me now at Matthew 28. Look at those last verses, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Very last challenge Jesus gave his disciples was to go and make more disciples. In other words, he was saying, Take what I've done with you, And then you do the same with other people. Tell them about Jesus. Call them to trust in him. Then teach them how to live like it. And that was his plan for getting his gospel message out to the world. His plan wasn't some big political campaign or writing the gospel in the sky or thinking about this week a balloon. Don't do that. Or, you know, sending an angel to each person on earth. That wasn't his plan. His plan was for regular, everyday Jesus followers to simply tell others about Jesus. 
And this wasn't just Jesus' message at the end of his ministry. It was also his message at the very beginning. Listen to what Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 4. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net to the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And the call for the disciples to follow Jesus was tied directly to the call to reach other people. That was the whole point. And Jesus used an analogy here that these fishermen would have recognized. They, they, he said, fishers of men. These guys had spent their whole lives learning how to catch fish for a living. And Jesus says, now I'm going to teach you how to fish for people. That was a part of their very call. These guys knew exactly what they were signing up for. Each of the other gospels includes something similar, like the Great Commission. And then in the opening of Acts, we see the same thing. Jesus says in Acts 1.8, But you, disciples, will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So all throughout the life and ministry of Jesus, we see his clear, repeated command to share our faith. And that's what the disciples did. The rest of the book of Acts is Christianity spreading through the obedience of his followers. And listen, that's how you and I got here today. Somebody shared Jesus with somebody who shared Jesus with somebody who shared Jesus with you. We wouldn't be here otherwise. That was the plan from the beginning. But it wasn't just the words of Jesus that show us this command. It was also his own heart and example. Flip with me in your Bible to Luke chapter 19. You got Matthew, you got Mark, and you got Luke. Go to Luke chapter 19. This is a classic story, the story of Zacchaeus, who we know was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, right? Which, I got to say, is not a very nice song to sing about one. And we teach preschoolers all over the world to make fun of poor Zacchaeus. But in this gospel account, Jesus is coming through town. Big crowd of people. And Zacchaeus, well, again, he was a wee little man. So he wanted to, get a, he wanted to see him. He wanted to see Jesus. So what does he do? He climbed up the tree, right? Somebody's listening. Good job. And to everybody's surprise, watch what happened next. Luke chapter 19, verses 5 through 10. And when Jesus came to the place, to the tree, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, the people, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Why were the people so offended that Jesus went to the house of Zacchaeus? It was because Zacchaeus was a bad guy. He was a tax collector. He, uh, they were notoriously corrupt at this time. Tax collectors would pad their own pockets as they collected taxes for the Romans. So people said to Jesus, you can't go to that guy's house. He's bad. He's a sinner. But Jesus did it anyway. And Zacchaeus has a heart change. Jesus says, today salvation's come to your house. And here's the key part where Jesus explained why he would do this, why he picked Zacchaeus, the guy at the top of the tree. We see it right here in verse 10. It's the heart of Jesus. For the Son of Man, that's Jesus, came to seek and save the lost, not the found, 
not the perfect, not the great people, the lost. This is the reason Jesus came. This was his whole purpose and mission. He didn't come to be some famous religious guy. He didn't come to just teach and say some quotable things to share on Instagram. He came to seek out those who were lost, sinners like Zacchaeus, sinners like me, and to save us from our sin. And friends, he didn't just talk about it. He did it. He sought those who were lost to the point that he gave his very life for them. He went to the cross and died in my place, in your place, to save us. So by looking at the commands of Jesus and the life of Jesus, all that he did, all that he said, it is so clear. Sharing your faith is an essential part of what it means to be a Christian. It is at the core. It's so essential that a Christian who doesn't share their faith is like a chef who doesn't cook or a musician who doesn't play, or a sprinter who doesn't run. We have a command. We have many commands to share our faith, and that's why we must. Here's the second reason why we must share. Number two, we have a moral imperative to share our faith. This is a tough one because this means we aren't just commanded to share. Sharing isn't just something Christians do. We check off our list. Sharing Christ with others is actually the most loving thing you could ever do with your life. It is moral and right and a just thing to share. And to keep this message to yourself is wrong and unjust and unloving. That's what moral imperative means. That that phrase means it's a strongly felt principle that compels a person to act. For example... If I'm walking down the sidewalk in my neighborhood and I see someone who has fallen down and is laying there hurt, I have a moral responsibility to stop and help them. Like I would know in that moment that calling for an ambulance and staying there with them, that would be the right thing to do, right? Right? Or another example, if I found a wallet with $1,000 inside of it laying in my driveway and I picked it up, and went inside, I thought, wow, this is cool, great day. And then 10 minutes later, I get a knock on my door, and a guy says, hey, I was jogging by your house, and I think my wallet fell out of my pocket. Have you seen it? In that moment, the right and just and loving thing to do would be to say, I don't know what you're talking about. No. <laughs> no, that's bad. That's not it, right? You'd say, yes. <laughs> the right thing to do would say, yes, I found it. Here you go. But since I'm a pastor, I get to keep 10%. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Wouldn't say that. But we understand these kinds of scenarios. Evangelism is exactly the same way, but to an infinitely greater degree of seriousness. Let me show you by using just one verse from the Bible. Romans 6.23, this verse sums up the whole gospel so well. It lays out for us what's at stake when it comes to sharing Christ with other people. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. First half of that verse, we clearly see that there's a problem. We're sinners. All of us. I think all of us, it's safe to say, have sinned. Me, many times. And we see here that there is a cost to sin. There's a wage, something that is owed. And that something is death. Well, everybody dies. I mean, of course, that's a part of life. What's the big deal with that? Well, Paul's talking here not just about physical death, which is a consequence of sin. But in the context of this verse, we know he's talking about something worse than that. Second half, notice he says life eternal. So here he means death that is eternal. What he's saying is that the crime of sin carries the punishment of hell. 
And that's not a popular topic to discuss. It's not going to get you any pats on the back or warm fuzzies. But the doctrine of eternal punishment in hell is not something we can just explain away because it makes us uncomfortable. Or because it doesn't fit with the idea of we like to think of God. What matters when it comes to hell is what is true. Like If I have a terminal illness, what matters more than how I feel about it or how much I agree with the prognosis is whether I'm actually dying and what can be done about it. We'd want to know that. So what does the Bible actually say about hell? Well, don't take some guy's opinion on a stage, but let me just share with you a few verses. Jesus said this in Matthew 13. He said, so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 25, at the end of a parable, Jesus says, Then he, God, will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And in Revelation 21, 8, the very end, it says, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, The detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. That's just a small part of what the Bible teaches on this tough topic, and I would encourage you to study this and decide for yourself. Don't take it from me. Do you believe hell is real? Look, if you don't, that's fine. You may feel more justified in not sharing your faith You may feel better about yourself, and you can go on with your life. But if it is, if hell is a real place where real people really burn in real fire for all eternity, don't you think they want to know that? I mean, what kind of people would we be to not warn others who are headed that way? What would we say about the person who finds the cure to cancer and locks it in a vault for himself? Or what would we say about the person who sees that the bridge has gone out, but he doesn't pull over to warn the people behind him? We have a moral imperative to tell others about Jesus because of eternal death. But we also have a moral imperative because of eternal life. See, here's the good news. In spite of what you and I deserve, and make no mistake, I deserve to be in hell. I'm a sinner. In spite of what we deserve, God has done the impossible but he has placed the judgment and wrath intended for me on his son Jesus instead so that through Jesus I can be forgiven and I can have the free gift of eternal life, and I do. Is there better news than that? That not only do I don't get hell, but also get heaven instead. This is given to me freely on the basis of God's grace, not because I'm a good person or a preacher or go to church or dress up or whatever. It's a free gift by God's grace. I'm the last person on earth who should have it, and it's mine. Eternal life means I will never die. Physically, yes, my body will stop working, but my soul will live forever in eternal joy and peace with God. And one day when Jesus returns, my body will be resurrected from the ground and made brand new and better than ever. And I will live in a remade world with all those who know Christ, and I will be with Jesus forever. That's heaven, okay? Heaven is not floating on clouds or playing golden harps with angel wings, and it is not a never-ending church service. (laughs) This is life to the fullest. Heaven is the world and the way God designed it to be in all perfection. 
That means every taste, every smell, every pleasure, every relationship, every thrill and joy, every moment of relaxation you've ever felt or dreamed in your mind will be true to the nth degree. No more pain, no more sickness, no more death, no more loneliness. Everything sad, completely undone and redeemed. And best of all, God will be there with us. The one who created you knows you better than you know yourself, loves you, and saved you. You will see him and talk to him and live in his presence forever. I can't even imagine it. C.S. Lewis, who wrote a series of books called The Chronicles of Narnia, which tells a story. He describes the very end of the story, his characters reaching the end. He describes it like this. He says, Now at last they were beginning chapter 1 of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. It's such a great picture of heaven. A book that never ends, but where every chapter is better than the one before, where every day will be the best day ever, and it will be better than the perfect one you had before. This goes on forever. Like, we can't even comprehend that in our minds. So guys, knowing that truth, that that kind of eternal life is possible and available for anyone, no matter who they are or what they've done, that gives us a moral imperative to share our faith. One of the most startling quotes on this whole idea comes from famous atheist and magician Penn Gillette. All right, remember, he, he's an atheist, but this is what he said. I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. That means to share your faith. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? That's tough to hear because we get it. Like if we really believe what we say, we know the most loving and right thing we could do with our lives is tell people the good news about Jesus. It's our calling as followers of him. It's what it means to follow him. So how do we do it? Well, here's our declaration statement for the share habit. It says this, I will share my story of following Jesus wherever God positions me. I will share my story of following Jesus wherever God positions me. Let me just highlight two important parts of that statement. The first important part is sharing your story. One of the ways Christians have historically shared their faith is through their testimony of how Jesus saved them. And I believe this method is more important than ever today. We live in a time in which objective truth is dismissed. Everyone claims to have their own truth. And what is value today is people's personal experience. So while someone may not listen to you when you say, here's what we know to be true, they may listen to you when you say, here's my story. We don't dismiss or ignore the truth, but you begin by sharing how you met Jesus, how he's changed your life personally. And then it's through your story you can actually open people up to the truth of God's word. You can get to the gospel of what Christ has done, which we've got to get to for sure. I also like doing evangelism by sharing my story because it just comes across as more natural and more personal. I don't have to use a canned script or memorize particular phrases or questions. I don't have to act like a used car salesman, and, and I just I come across as more genuine. 
There's nothing more personal or familiar to me than what God has done in my life through Jesus. So it's not hard for me to share about it. It shouldn't be. It should just come right out. And because sharing your story is a personal thing, I think it breaks down barriers. It builds relationships with people. To approach someone and just start talking about religion, you seem like a confrontational, crazy person. They might see you that way. But when you simply share about your own life and your struggles and what God's done for you, that person will more likely share their story. By giving them a glimpse of your life, they'll feel like they know you better. And that honesty, that openness might be the very thing that breaks down a barrier for them to hear the gospel. The other part of the declaration to note is where it says, wherever God positions you. God has chosen by his sovereign plan to put each of us exactly where he wants us. In the neighborhood we live in, the job we work at, the family we're a part of, the restaurants we eat at, those are the places God positions us. And he puts us there so that we might reach the lost people in that place. That means God has called you to be a missionary at your workplace. God has called you to be the missionary in your neighborhood. If you don't share the gospel to those people there, they might never hear it from anyone else. This means we got to take ownership of the territory God has given us. 151st Terrace in Olathe, that's my mission field. Brome Elementary School, where my daughter attends, that's my mission field. Daylight Donuts, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, that's my mission field. <laughs> I'm not kidding, every week, do you see them out there for that reason? Every month, excuse me. But I've marked those places out. That's where my focus is. I may not be able to reach the whole world for Christ, but surely I can reach someone. And why not start with the people I see every day? And yes, I see donut people. Not every day, but a lot. <laughs> so let's close with our really practical challenge for living this out in 2023. My challenge for you this year is to learn to share your story of following Jesus, your testimony, and to do so comfortably and naturally with the people you meet. Again, I know that sounds a little scary. How do I do that? What do I say? Who do I talk to? Let's, just, let's don't get too far ahead of ourselves, okay? Let's just take the first step today. What would be the first step to sharing your story? Well, that's to know your story. You got to know it first. Everybody has a story, whether you were saved as an adult or saved like me as a kid. God has done something in all of our lives. So you got to think through that. Think through that story. Write it out, and then you've got to practice it. One of the keys to conquering fear is preparation and repetition. It's like riding a bike. First time you rode a bike, it's terrifying. But the more you did it, it became natural. It's the same way. It's with everything. It's the same way with evangelism. So you got to know it, memorize it, and practice it so that when you get in the moment and you get an opportunity, you don't freeze up, but you know exactly what you can say and do. And it just comes out as naturally as if you were talking about the weather or the Chiefs game. So I want us to spend this last few minutes this morning together writing out your testimony. I am not going to send you off later after lunch so you can forget it. Forget about it. <laughs> We're going to do it right now. So I want you to take your phone out. If you have a piece of paper and a pen, grab that. Grab something where you can put words onto it, okay? If it were me, I'd be using my phone, my notes, app, something. And before you write anything, let me tell you, here is the traditional way to write a testimony, and then I'll give you an alternate way. The traditional way is in three parts. Before Jesus, saved by Jesus, and after Jesus. 
It's as simple as it sounds. First, you write a few sentences about what life was like before you met Jesus. How was life different? How were you different? What were the struggles and things you wrestled with? Then second, write a few sentences about how you met Jesus. Who told you about him? How did you make that decision? Keep it short and sweet. Just a couple sentences. And then third, how was your life different after Jesus? What did he do for you? How did he help you and change your life? Now, the alternate way is for people like me who were saved at a young age and don't really remember much about their life before Christ. So often I will use this testimony or this outline for my testimony. It's this. Again, three parts. Bad situation. Jesus helped, good came out of it. So I start with a struggle I faced in my life. Right? I lost someone I loved. I totally messed up in this situation. I dealt with depression. I went through this scary health crisis. Then second, how did Jesus help you through that? Did he give you peace, hope, joy? What did he do? And then lastly, what good came out of it? I've grown through this. Or I know I can face other things because of Jesus or I'm able to help other people. So those are the two ways. You got before Jesus. Saved by Jesus, after Jesus. Or, bad situation, Jesus helped, good came out of it. I want you to spend just the next few minutes really quick, make it short and sweet. I'm not going to make you say it at all. All you have to do is just spend a few minutes writing it, and then we'll close, I'll close this out.